everyone. Welcome to episode 129 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Uh, we are going to probably have aired a couple of our episodes out of order just due to some changes in how we want to release them, but this one is definitely 129. So hopefully you'll enjoy our conversation with Dr. Lisa Lewis. We've got her back and we get heavily into psychological skills for fitness professionals, both for how we deal with our own clients, a ton of strategy there. It's a very long section and also how we preserve our own mental health uh, and our emotional energy. And we also talk about the science of the actual benefits of exercise. So a little bit of a technical breakdown there. I hope you love this episode. Lisa's wonderful. Hopefully you go check out her, her Instagram, her work, her course. Thanks. Shut up and sit down. Everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, every once in a while, we get someone who comes along in the fitness industry, and it seems like they gain a lot of rapid attention for their work. Uh, we may not necessarily see the underlying time that was put into it, but uh, Dr. Lisa Lewis is one such person. She's returning with us. We've had her on before to chat with us about her work. Well, she's teaching skills to fit pros, uh, psych skills to fit pros, and that's really taken off. So we'll get back. We'll come back to that. And if you uh, didn't tune in last time or hear, Lisa, hear of Lisa before, she's a licensed psychologist. Uh, she's based in the Boston area, and uh, we're glad to have you back. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. Funny, funny story is like last, we talked about last podcast. Do you remember, like you probably use this a lot, but like the Big Mac um, process for giving people feedback or like arguments, or I can't remember what it was. I've used it like so many times. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, the sandwich method of... Yeah. But it's I like not a sound. had enhanced it to Big Mac. Yeah, you know, like, like I actually when I explain to people because like everyone knows the like the the shit sandwich or whatever. You <laughs> yes. But like no one's heard. I didn't, I don't even call it a shit Big Mac, but it's like the feedback Big Mac or whatever, and it's like it it like works so well. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah, you add two more nice things than normal, or like one more nice thing than normal. It's like you can say whatever you want negative. It's awesome. <laughs> That's the dark side of it. I'm telling you, it's like the best juice that there is for motivating people and helping them change. If you didn't hear, if anyone listening hasn't heard your last episode, now they're going to have to go back and find out what we're talking about. So, but, And I said, like, I, I think I, I outed my wife. I was like, yeah, like, we get, I don't know what it was, but she's, I was like, yeah, she's never going to listen to it. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm never going to listen to it. She like, I, the one she listened to was that one. <laughs> <laughs> of course, like, oh, it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I learned my lesson. Well, obviously, <laughs> we've had you on before, and it doesn't even seem like it's been that long, but it's been it's been several months. So, yeah, curious to see what you've been up to. You know, since we last talked, uh, it certainly seemed things seem to have really taken off for your career and your brand within the fitness industry. I mean, your your baseline career has been long established. Your, your actual practice with people. Uh, so, we want to know what's been happening and. I wanted to address, you know, the fitness professional in a rush to gain industry prominence, gain that kind of explosion in their brand recognition, because we know a lot of people are trying to get in and, and see that happen really quickly. Yeah. And they don't necessarily see the years of laying the groundwork hidden beneath it uh, to kind of have what you have had happen probably about the last year. Or so can you touch on that? Okay. 
I, there were a couple questions in that question. That's uh, Andrew's questions though. 100 <laughs> questions. You got to remember them all. So I like to think of my career kind of, if I could have been any kind of athlete, I think I would have been a decathlete because those athletes get to do like a bunch of different sports. And my career, I want to look like that. So I teach a few classes um, as a faculty at Northeastern University, and I have a private practice uh, here in Boston where I see some clients who have addiction because I come from an addiction background, and then some clients who are athletes because I have a sports psych background, and then some clients who are just clients coming in to work on stuff. Um, and then this whole other portion um, of kind of executives, business executives, really high achieving kind of type A people. Um, and then in, there's this part of my life in the fitness industry, which you referred to, which is really blossoming, which I, I think really the catalyst for that was going to the fitness summit last year and being able to speak um, and meet a lot of people in the industry and, and, and talk about psych skills and underscore the importance of them. And I think one of the reasons that was so catalyzing is because I was preaching to the choir in many ways. I think that many fitness professionals who are beyond the first couple of years of their profession learn and develop understanding and appreciation for the fact that to be successful in this industry, it's not whether or not you know the fanciest progressions or regressions of an exercise or the magical amount of macros to write for your clients. It is how you communicate, how you motivate, how you tolerate resistance to change, and how you help clients through that process, which is all psychological. Um, and so I, you know, I think being in a place at the right place at the right time and talking to an audience that was really kind of primed to hear this information and, and to learn that there is a scientific body of evidence that supports, um, using psychological skills in fitness settings. And, um, I think that just really helped me to kind of get going and know, you know, a small group of people like, including you. Um, and so over the course of the last year, I've just had the opportunity to, do more in services for gym staff to um, work more one on one in consultation with fitness professionals who want to talk about things like professional burnout or professional boundaries or just motivating clients, you know, how to work with them in, in psychological ways. Um, and, and this really, you know, I think prompted me to start moving forward to create continuing education um, that could be accessible to anyone, anywhere, anytime about how to apply psychological skills to your work in coaching people. This isn't as new as it sounds, either people understanding the importance of psychology. We've got a number of prominent right. people and companies in our industry. Uh, we're going to record with Sohee Lee shortly after you. Mm -hmm. and by the time people are hearing this one, I think we'll already have released that episode. And Sohee's pursuing a high-level education in psychology, and she's going to that. Precision nutrition is probably the first place that I really yes. dose it because they've been very all in on habits, behavior change, psychology. Yes. You'll, you'll hear the words habits and behavior change, but these things often come down to core fundamental psychological principles. And PN has been, well, they're the biggest uh, nutrition company and certification company in the world. Mm -hmm. And these guys, we're actually going to have a bunch of their speakers on in the near future, so stay, stay tuned for that. But PN is they're having a massive impact. And I don't think it's because they're better at, here is how to calculate your calories Correct. on a day. Here is how to do this with nutritional science. That's right. I think what sets them apart is they're great at the behavior change and psychology skills. Well, that's why it's kind of it's cool that you're doing it. I think you're the right person for it. That's my 
I don't have a Big Mac. <laughs> um, but I think like generally when fitness professionals, just like any industry, they think about like a psychologist and they think like fucking like in the Sopranos and you're in this room and like you got to go talk your feelings and all this stuff. But coming from someone like you who lifts and can like speak that language, I think like that makes the message easier to hear because we all like say, oh yeah, it's like psychology, but they don't actually listen to like the deeper stuff from someone. So it's kind of cool that you've been able to break that barrier, so to speak, because you're not, you're not saying anything new that you know what right. I mean? you're just packaging That's it in right. a way where they like oh we can actually use this right it's the application that i think is really what is received like absorbed by people in fitness so easily is um i think the way i learn best is through application so yes there's like theory and there's research and there's evidence but like how can we actually metabolize that and apply that and talk about that with our clients um and so that's one thing i've really enjoyed is because you know, another part of my life that I really love is strength training and fitness. Uh, and so to be able to bring that part of my life into my professional life, to be able to mix those things together, I really enjoyed. And I have to say, one of the things I like best is that I am not a trainer. I'm not a strength coach. And so the coaches and the trainers that I work with, they get to stay the expert on that. They get to be the authority on that. Yeah. Um, and so it really always feels like a collaboration. Um, just the same way I encourage coaches to talk to their clients is how I get to work with my clients who are coaches, That's which is, you know, you bring this expertise and then I come with a lot of this experience about communication and then we can work together. That's um, I don't have any answers that they don't have. Sorry, Andrew. No, I, I was going to say like, that's perfect because okay. essentially like with any of these, not relationships, but like when you kind of listen to a professional in one area, like I'll use Jordan Peterson, for example, listen to Jordan Peterson about Jordan Peterson fucking thing. But then he starts talking about the carnivore diet and then all the fitness professionals are like, Jordan Peterson is an idiot because he's talking about something he doesn't, is not his profession. So like, I like that you're not even trying to be the expert. So you can almost go in there without being the enemy because anyone who like tells a fitness trainer how to do stuff, they automatically put their wall up and won't listen to anything. Yeah. Even though I, I bet you could teach any, I bet you could teach us stuff. I've yeah. seen you live. <laughs> on the other side. And you're married and, to Tony. And going to those two points, uh, and maybe, you know, being married to Tony Gentlecore adds a little bit of credibility. I'm sure there's a part of that. But if you, if anyone actually looks at your social media feed, there's a lot of video of you working out and you're in great shape, you're strong. And I definitely believe that lends a lot of credibility. And this is something our industry like to argue about. I don't want to kind of boil down to the basic question, should trainers be in shape? But I would argue that someone who demonstrates all this sort of stuff, who is in or related to our industry, it adds a, a solid degree of credibility to their message, right? Mm. You were, again, this is a sort of tricky thing, but if you were someone who was, quote, visibly out of shape mm -hmm. and trying to sell these ideas within the fitness industry, uh -huh. well, I'll, I'll get you an answer. Do you think it would have an impact on your message? Well, what I'm, what I am learning is that yes, I think it would because of what you're saying. So my initial intention with creating an Instagram platform to put out content on was to show all these psychological constructs and all, like they have application, they have meaning in your everyday life. Every time you go to the gym, every time you get in a rep in, there are so many ways for you to practice mindfulness and motivation and stress management. And, um, so that was really my intentionality. But one of these unforeseen kind of consequences of that is people saying what you're saying right now, like, hey, this girl can pick up heavy stuff. <laughs> um, and that that adds a little bit of credibility. And I think that runs parallel to Dean's point, which is 
I'm capable of speaking the language and understanding what it takes to execute these things and to be strong and to be fit. Um, but at the same time, um, I don't feel and I don't present myself as like, do this exercise this way. I'm talking about what I have to talk about, which is you can do your training and you can do your fitness the way you want to, and you can integrate mental strengths and mental toughness and all these other benefits of positive psychology. Well, one thing I will say is I mean, you're here um, because, well, I saw you present in Kansas City last year. We talked about mm -hmm. that last time. And you're here because of the quality of the knowledge and information. I mean, that's absolutely the truth. Uh, and so I don't ever want anyone to think that it actually it's only because, hey, you're also fit and you're also really strong. Mm. I don't think those things are hurting in the eyes of some people. But at the end of the day, it comes down to this, this great quality information that will actually help people. So I, mm. I hope people take that away more than anything else. Yeah. And I, you know, that's, uh, was a lot of work. It took a lot of time to <laughs> go through my education. And I think now I just get to reap a lot of the benefits of that because I know that the things that I teach about and I talk about are grounded in just such excellent theory and such a strong, big, fat body of research that um, it's easy to talk about. And it's, it's easy for me to layer that, that psychological information with fitness because I know that and I feel that myself. So um, it's awesome that it's well-received, you know, whether or not somebody is, um, add, it adds buy-in for them that, you know, that I'm strong in addition to that. <laughs> I think we should talk about it because like essentially this is not why like we want to talk about essentially psych skills for fitness pros. Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah so yes, that's, you that's your that's your new course, which is my new course. all the stuff we're talking about now is layering psychology, fitness and coaching. That's correct. Um, what are the key pieces of knowledge coaches need to learn to more effectively coach their clients to success? So like what are some of the big rocks that you're trying the to get? The big across? rocks in this course are stem from self-determination theory, which is a, a theory of motivation. So I start with what is the nature of motivation? What are the elements, the basic elements that people need from their environment to be motivated? Um, and then how can you build those things either into your environment or your communication or the way that you write programming? Then I spend time talking about diff there are different types of motivation. So one mistake I, I will often hear people say is like, I don't have enough motivation or I lost motivation. Um, and so there, it's not like it's this one energy source that there's either a lot of or none of or a little of. There's this whole spectrum of ways that we are motivated. And even if your client has times when they don't feel like it or they don't enjoy training, it doesn't mean that there's not other ways that they can get motivated to do it and get through it and get their reps in. And the reason that I chose self-determination theory Number one, I love it. But number two, one of the premises is if you can engage in the behavior, even for like external motives, if you keep engaging in the behavior, it's going to increase your intrinsic desire. It's going to kind of help you to evolve or develop intrinsic motivation. And once you have that, then you're going to want to exercise regularly for the rest of your life, regardless. Thing that I've frequently said, and I think other people sort of say it too, and your message is a path to get from one point A to point B is I like to think about bypassing motivation because motivation can be very fleeting and unreliable, which I think is consistent with what you're saying, to get people to a point where it's 
based in discipline, it's based in habit. Now, saying that isn't necessarily very helpful if you don't give people the tools to get there. And that's what you're doing is giving people strategies to get from being very reliant upon the unreliable nature of motivation to a point where they don't actually need to rely too heavily on it to where they actually develop these disciplined habits. Is that a good way of putting it? Or? And well, so I would, I understand what you're saying. The way that I would interpret it, you know, based on the theory is that when you think about a habit, it's, it's a behavior that you engage in on a regular basis, either because you like who you are or how you feel when you do it, that the outcome has value or meaning to you, um, or that you identify the outcome as being, as being important. Um, to your identity. And so that is internalized motivation. So yes, there's motives like, you know, I want to lose 10 pounds and I want to look hot at my high school reunion. And there's that kind of external outcome, but habit, the reasons why we have habits is because we're motivated for, by these very internal feelings and values and personal beliefs that we have. And if we can move a person from exercising because they want to look hot to exercising because they value that as being personally meaningful and part of who they are and part of their personality and their character, then you're going to have consistency and you're going to have that habit that doesn't require all this external reinforcement all the time. You said something that I have talked about a lot and I really believe it. I think we're on the same page here is the whole idea of identity. And mm. if you can align someone's identity or their, I, I like to use the term aspirational identity Mm -hmm. get them in touch with that or yeah. shift their identity well people are more naturally going to engage in behaviors that align with their identity mm -hmm. so i like to get people to think in that kind of term so i don't know if you well, have any more thoughts i was gonna that. say it's, it's it's interesting the way you put that because i think like when trainers talk about this stuff and this is why i think the course is so important and like why i do like the message of like learning these skills is a lot of trainers <laughs> trainers are already there like that's why, they're, that's why they're a trainer. That's why they lift weights. Like they, you got it. they don't even understand that their identity is that. Like I would, I would probably fall in that category when I was doing you got it. it. But they think that everyone's, I don't want to say that they, but like generally they sidestep the fact that people aren't, the people that we're training aren't us. And they don't literally give a fuck the same way we do. And they can get there. But like that, without that skill of getting people to that point or even understanding that there is a road to get there, we're kind of at a loss a lot of times. And like, that's where a lot of the problems I see with client retention comes in is like, yes. you just don't understand yeah. the process. They think it's just like, you come to the gym, you paid money. Like, yeah, they want to work out and get in shape. But like, I don't know if it's that simple. Right. So to everything you just said, like, amen. And, and that, so the, the, the word, the theoretical word, the construct that you're describing is called integrated regulation. And that is yeah. when the behavior, when the habit is baked into who you are. And so when you are training and you're going to the gym and you're counting your macros and you're doing your thing, you love it. Even, even if you're hungry and you're tired and you're sore and you're miserable, you enjoy it because you're like, this is who I am. Like, this is me being me as a person. And you are absolutely right that when a lot of people who are listening are that, you know, they are operating at that level of motivation where they're integrated, the behavior is integrated. And so when new clients come in, they're like, hey, you know, be this person. Like, let me give you the recipe and just do it. But that motivation develops. It evolves over time. You don't, just, it, you don't just bake that into who you are as a person by paying somebody money and snapping your fingers. 
it takes a lot of external reinforcement, a lot of reward, a lot of building competency, a lot of feeling more and more autonomous in your environment and of being supported and celebrated by other people. And so trainers, I think one of the things that burn them out is like, hey, how come my clients aren't like getting the results? Like I know the answers because they want them to go from zero all the way to this integrated regulation when really they need to meet the client where they're at. They're coming in because they want to look hot at their high school reunion. You better get on board with that. You better cheer them on and you better get excited with them. I've never thought that, by the way. Provide support and build competency around that. Because if you do, that's how you get them on the train headed to integrated regulation. That's how you move them closer. I think this whole conversation is is really important. And and Dean's point is probably the the one that sometimes we use a different analogy. and, And the analogy I like is, if anyone's a fan of hockey and our Canadian listeners, Edmonton listeners will know the Wayne Gretzky reference. And Wayne was so good at hockey, it was like breathing for him. Wayne has more what assists than any other NHLer in the history of the game has total points. We'll and that's have. goals plus assists. And yet Wayne was a failure as a coach. And my theory right. on that is why sometimes he's, he's naturally gifted, although hardworking, talented athletes fail as coaches when they're trying to teach these skills other people is fundamentally I think that it was so effortless for them that they don't understand why other people can't do it as easily as they do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think that analogy can be made in teaching. Sometimes the most brilliant scientists are horrible teachers, you know? Yeah. Sometimes the most in shape, you know, amazing, most educated coaches, you know, can't keep clients. <laughs> And sometimes really shitty trainers are successful. And I, I think it has a lot to do with their ability to communicate with and support their clients in these social ways. You made a good point that I think is worth letting, keeping people's minds open to is, you know, the comment about shitty trainers. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a good idea to discount the people who seem to visit visibly not be good at the skills of our industry. Yeah. When in fact, let's say that we know everybody we know knows a trainer that they look at and they're like, that person isn't doing a good job. They're unprofessional yet. They're really busy and they don't seem to be having any trouble keeping their clients. Yeah. Look very closely at what they're doing well. And if you you learn from what they're doing well and apply all the skills that you are good at, Versus just saying, oh, that person's a terrible person and being resentful, blindly resentful for the fact that they're doing well, despite that you've decided they're a bad trainer. I think like, mm-hmm. this is, <laughs> this is my opinion. So don't, don't take the short edit. Um, the psych skill part, like, let's just say you integrate all this stuff and you're like the fucking master at that. I think like, <laughs> yeah. a lot of times, like the programming and like how good you are at training doesn't fucking matter. Like as long as they're doing something, there's like, like you're talking about shitty trainers. Like there's a lot of people making a lot of money and they're not Tony General. Like they're not even like one hundredth of him, and there's probably people making twice the amount of money as him. You know what I mean? And and, and I'm not saying that it's because they're good at those things, but like a lot of people see results on a lot of dumb shit. Mm-hmm. And if, if they and if they feel like like it's almost like you can you can bypass this linear progression model just by getting people to actually what do you call it? integrated integrated what regulation 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 because then they're they're gonna do something and like studies mm-hmm. are shown that like movement and and lifting and diet when you combine all that stuff like a lot of it just works like, you don't right. have to be a power lifter or deadlift 600 pounds like tony well actually, to, like be i use tony as a good example because tony is someone who has said something that i believe in uh and a lot of other peers of tony's will approach the same way tony 
we know is a brilliant trader. He is a brilliant person when it comes to program design and education. But Tony also knows to keep programs simple. He is not someone who is teaching or professing that everybody should have these te technically complex, heavily periodized programs for everyday people. He's actually fantastic at breaking it down into very accessible stuff that keeps people he, wanting to come back. He's married, he's married to Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Someone that she won't ever say it, but like she's like Tony, listen, you like you don't, you're not integrated very well. <laughs> he actually, Tony is actually the last interview that I do, like at the end of the course, and we, and we kind of talk about how I mean, really, my being married to and being in a relationship with somebody who's in this industry was is kind of the the genesis of you know why I'm sitting here now, which is seeing him come home from work. And the things that were exhausting, the things that were taxing, the things that were hard for him had nothing to do with program design or like, you know, coaching people how to lift weights. It was all around resistances that people have, difficulty they have changing, not being ready to change, pushing back, um, doing, you know, doing what he would, you know, would call stupid shit outside of the gym that was taking away, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then how over the course of, us just getting to know each other and being in a relationship, how we, we kind of unpack, like there is so much psychology and that is really the stuff that I think is draining for coaches is, and, and that can either help them to flourish or really make them feel burnout and ineffective is these psychological pieces of the work. And the reason why I like it too, like we're, we just love it. Um, <laughs> but like a lot of simple stories right now are taking a lot of popularity and they're super effective, but like, sleep stress fucking social mm -hmm. relationships like being physical and all this stuff but yep. that's such a simple story that like the roadmap to get there is this stuff that you're talking about because mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff like you should sleep more isn't helpful like even though it's true and like there's all those scientific things about like how good sleep and all this stuff but it's not helpful to the if you're a trainer trying to get people there mm -hmm. and like you've talked about this a lot like because you're super smart and all this shit and like even you're trying to give people roadmaps to it. And this stuff is like, like the goal, the Holy grail, I guess, so to speak. There's, we could talk for 20 hours about this stuff. Part of it is meeting people where they're at. Um, yeah. I think also this is important is we also have to remember that it's not about our goals for a client's results. It's about their goals for a client's That's results. Correct. And I have a client that I, I think is a great example and she's a wonderful, sweet lady came to me with high blood pressure, blood sugar. I trained her sister-in-law. I know her family and friends with her daughters. And so she came to the gym and she's actually quite strong. She moves really, really well. And she likes coming to the gym, but she wouldn't come on her own for the first like four years of working with her. Really? <laughs> uh, she had a, quite a bit of a drive. So it was a bit of a commitment to come to the gym. And she didn't like driving in the winter time, but she would still make the effort. So, and all my nudgings and urging, she lost a little bit of weight. Her blood pressure, blood sugar got back down to normal right away. But beyond that, she didn't want to make the lifestyle changes in nutrition uh, because she liked her lifestyle. Mm -hmm. She enjoyed being active enough to maintain that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And at first, I was really stressed out. And I was feeling like I'm failing this client because I'm not getting the more weight loss. Well, she's pretty happy and content. She would have liked a little bit more, but she was happy with that. Then after four years, a small one of those scan-in 24-hour gyms opened within walking distance of her home in the mm -hmm. suburb of Edmonton. And she joined it and she goes on her own three times a week because it's physically convenient for her. 
She had learned all these skills. She's powerfully strong. She goes straight for the squat racks. I'm sure there's all these guys who are up on the ellipticals and the machines who see this 50 plus year old lady yeah. go right for the squat rack and bang out great deep squats, perfect yeah. Romanian deadlifts and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And what I realized is, A, I was initially attributing my goals for a person when I should have been more focused on what really mattered to her. Yeah. And in the end of the day, because we were consistent, I taught the skills. One change in her environment was actually the key. And she's had massive long-term success. So yeah. I went from re thinking that this is one of my struggles at, as a trainer to mm -hmm. one of my proudest successes as a trainer. So mm -hmm. I hope people might take something from that. I don't know what you think about that. Well, number one, I love that, you know, Dean had asked me what the big rocks are of the course. The first one is motivation. The second one is, is stages of change. And the second big rock that I review is the trans-theoretical model of change, which is that people go through stages and only 20% of this change process is action. People getting ready, people talking about it, people thinking about it, people relapsing. And so you are, you are going back, first of all, to kind of like rule number one, which is it's not about me. It's about my client and meeting the client where they're at. And then number two, that change does not happen on our timetable. And we may be frustrated because we want our client to train more, or lose more weight or be more motivated, but those are our goals and that's our agenda. And it's not wrong to have them, but it's important to recognize that what you want is different than what your client wants. And if you go back to my client's happy, my client's good. My client's coming in training, you know, she's on her timeline. She's in her process. And then this new opportunity came up for her. And I think that's so nice for both of you because then you also get to see like, you know, it had nothing to do with me not being effective enough or getting her ready. It just, when she was ready and an opportunity presented herself, she grabbed it. You might be a good person to ask this because this is this whole change theory thing. What do you, how, do you deal, how do you deal with people essentially who say they want something but then put up the barriers to that change so like like they're saying they want it so andrew's doing it exactly like she said she wanted but deep down like how do you kind of navigate that like a disconnect between i guess what they say they want and what they're actually willing to do in that change model yeah yeah that's basically every single person yeah that's why i asked it because like literally <laughs> Except for our dream client you know the client who needs us the least are the ones that we like to work with the most because yeah. we tell them what to do and they freaking do it <laughs> most people you know uh, you know i always go back to that meme that jack black has i don't know if you've seen it but it's like i want a hot body but i also want tacos <laughs> like that, to me that's like if somebody was like what is the meaning of life like that meme right there like you know i all of our clients, all of our people, they want to progress. They want to grow. They want to evolve. They want to change. They want to be better than they were in some way, shape, or form. But they also want to keep what they have and enjoy life. So what I think ultimately as people helpers, the, the, mo the scalpel that we have, the intervention is the relationship. It is the rapport that you have with the client, your demonstration to them that you care and that you support them in their goals you applying information and um, whether it's nutrition or coaching or whatever at the right time when the window's open and then let it, supporting their autonomy and being patient while they hem and haw and push and pull and are ambivalent about change. That ambivalence of tell me what to do and then arguing and pushing back or making excuses, that's the jam. Like that is where the work gets done is that energy 
because ambivalence builds and builds and builds and then it pushes someone either to change or to go back. And we, as people helpers, it's a tough spot because we want them to change. We want them to have success. So we can take on that energy, that ambivalence, that like, come on, God damn it. Just cut the shit with the drinking on the weekend. When really that's not our energy and they need that energy and they need that fuel and they need that gas so that they can get sick and tired enough to actually make change. So you may have to demonstrate that you're content or complacent with their hemming and hawing and gaining five and losing two and whatever they're going to do round and round and round and round until they're ready. And sometimes my first thought when you ask that question, sometimes what I do when somebody's pretty sick and tired and they want it really bad and they're, but they're really in their own way, yeah. I'll say, you know, maybe you're just not ready. That's actually good. And 75% of the time, what I get is, no, God damn it. I am ready. Like it makes them mad, you yeah. know, like, no. And, and that is energizing just to open the door, just to say to them, give them that autonomy. Like, Hey, maybe you're just not ready yet. That's one and of the, then, yeah, you go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Dean. No, I was going to, I was going to say like in my experience, because, and you know, Jeb and we, Johnston and we both work at strong you like I think mm. that, that pull then the reason why I ask is because I feel like that push and pull is what we deal with on a regular basis doing online nutrition and like you said you put it in terms of like maybe you're just not ready but every time I've been not necessarily indifferent but like intentionally indifferent because I'm like fuck same fucking story yep then it's like <laughs> then they're like why don't you care I do care and it's like every yeah. time I do that it works but I yes. didn't really put it in terms of like that energy yeah, I just, I just didn't want to sound like I mean dick, but like every time I'm more of a dick, <laughs> or like sorry, more I'm indifferent, the more I'm getting, which is almost like if you look from the outside looking in, it's like oh, it's another indifferent coach. But if you're doing it intentionally, I guess to get what you want, or so to speak, yeah, because them there. you're letting them take ownership of their yeah. feelings, like yeah. the frustration and the sick and tiredness. Those aren't your feelings. Those are the client's feelings and you're taking them on, Yeah, you know, and they, and clients like that, you know, they, they, that's the relationship part of it. Like, they're like, yeah, somebody's going to take this over and fix it for me. When we all know the only person who yeah. can fix what the client puts in their mouth is the client. You just made me feel better. Cause generally, generally you know, I, I, I talk with Jeb, we have like a coaches group and stuff and I'm just like, uh -huh. I come off as like the indifferent one. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it works because if I take it, it on, totally I, just get, works. I just get fucking pissed off yeah. and like, I take it on. I'm like, that's never worked. And like, I, I'm more of a prioritizer of my own life before, but that's that whole idea of take care of yourself. But like the intentionality of that seems to like get people there faster in like Absolutely. my theory, but I didn't know what I was doing. Like that's the only, yes. like I was intentionally doing it, but I didn't intentionally, I didn't understand what you're yeah. saying. So you put it in that terms. So I guess like, that's why we are an advocate for this stuff. Cause like a lot of coaches intuitively do this stuff, but they're not necessarily using it like a fucking accurate bone arrow. They're like, you know what I mean? They're not being surgical about how they're using it. And I think that that is going to be very freeing for a lot of people once they're able to understand these concepts and then use them when they need them, as opposed to relying on intuition, which is good, but. Like it's not going to serve us well all the time. Mm -hmm. Let's take something from that and move into another conversation. Uh, we obviously deal with all, anyone who's a fitness professional listening deals with their, their efforts to build a brand, their clientele, keep their business strong mm. and manage their own emotional well-being. So we're talking about, you guys are just talking about 
taking on a lot of the client stuff personally. Mm -hmm. And of course, mm -hmm. the stress that that creates when we feel like we're not getting the results or they are not getting the results that they should. So mm -hmm. are there any important thoughts for you know, the mental health of our industry? Uh, thoughts on managing our emotional energy where cl clients are placing demands upon us. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be my volume two psych skills for fit pros. I love how you don't even know you're setting me up and you're setting me up. And you know, for mental health professionals, it is a very foundational part of our education to learn about transference and countertransference and how to emotionally pr protect ourselves, how to be boundaried, how important self-care is to the quality of service that you provide to your clients. And I think one of the things I feel most passionately about is that there is nothing for you guys in fitness, nothing I feel in terms of you getting any training around that, that that matters. You having that support, like having group supervision, even like you were just mentioning, Dean, the ability to sit down with other professionals and just talk about what's hard, what's draining, like talk about clients. Um, and then to be able to refuel your own tank and, and, and have healthy professional boundaries and, and treat self-care the same way as you would treat your nutrition or you would treat your sleep. Um, I feel very, very passionately that that is a service I would really like to provide in the industry um, because what I see in, in the fitness is people busting their asses and just give, 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 not only when they're training clients, but like on social media and just being available to them on text or feeling like they have to be a therapist or a confidant or, you know, take on all these additional roles. I just feel that it's, people can get just bled dry. Um, if they, if they feel like that's what they need to do to earn a living. And that is just such a setup for burnout. Um, so I think I've wandered away from making my direct point to your question, but that, that, that answers it. Okay. <laughs> we'll be, we'll be, because like, like you said, like the whole transference thing, like you guys have to learn, you guys, um, psychologists have to learn that because you're basically, your job is to deal with people's problems and like navigate them where like, but trainers, so is your job. But, but that's what job. I'm saying. That is what it is. But generally yeah. new trainers or people who are burning themselves out think it's just about training. And then Correct. the whole running joke is like, oh, we're a psychologist, but we're basically a psychologist that isn't trained on how to be a psychologist and we're not trained on transference and like how to, how to put up that wall or whatever, which is like, we're setting ourselves up to get fucked <laughs> because like we, we didn't learn it and we didn't learn how to, I guess, have a defense up to the negatives of being in that type of relationship. You, you guys are you're professionals on it and you're trained. We're not trained which I think there is a huge gap because I would say that's the major thing with trainer burnout is this whole idea of like, we're taking on way too much shit and we care, which is like, we're just setting ourselves up. Yeah. Yeah. You, you go into this because you care and you're passionate and you want to help. And, um, for, for many years, uh, before I opened my own thing, you know, when I worked at hospitals or I worked at colleges, I would help with the supervision of the interns and, I just love that part so much because it's helping that young helping professional keep that passion and keep that desire to help people, but also to have healthy expectations and boundaries to keep in the front of your mind that the client is in charge of changing the client and you are there to provide technical assistance and support. Um, 
you know, you are not the expert. You cannot disseminate the answer, even if you have the right answer. That is not going to help the person affect change. And so I, I love that so much um, in part of my working life. And so now I have to say one of my favorite things is right now I ha there's a gym um, in downtown Boston that has a, a six person staff and they call it like group therapy. I would call it group supervision, but I just go once a month. And we just talk and they talk about what's going on with certain clients, what's going on with them when clients won't lose weight or, you know, have heart problems or clients who complain about every single thing on the program. And um, it's, so, it's just such a space, I think, that has not been filled in the industry that probably some gyms fill by just talking to each other and stuff. But I, it seems so to me easy. like there's a big reward in that. You do it so easily. Like, I think that that's the other thing is like, I, I would say, especially if trainers are like learning and self-learning and reading and stuff, they'll come to like some sort of conclusion that'll get them there, but it takes mm. so long. Like if mm. I think back and I don't know if you think like all the stuff we've read to even get to some of these understandings and you still put it <laughs> in like 10 seconds, way easier than I could think about it. And like, I think that that's almost like a cheat code for us, so to speak, like why not necessarily why waste all your time learning but like why if you could get it faster and it could change your life faster as a trainer it's like this is the sort of stuff that i would want because i don't want to go read a fucking psychology book for for like weeks on end to like come to a conclusion that may or may not be right because i don't have a clue i'm gonna put it a little differently because i don't think you can hack the system i don't think you can cheat code your way to an understanding of this what i think people should do hates that. is <laughs> go through the experience of training people, gaining yeah. experience as a professional, but filter it all through the lens of the information you're providing so yeah. that people are a little ahead of the game and they can apply it as they experience it. That is how I would prefer to look at it. And I think that we should all consider ourselves to be in practice. You know, they say doctors practice medicine. I have a, pra a private practice. You are practicing you know, you never reach this expertise, but you really learn the best as you're like working with your clients and, and seeing what that feels like and then adding education and, and integrating new, new interventions. So it's like, we're never going to arrive at this place where we're just like ninjas. I, you know, I, that's how I personally feel about myself is I just need to keep talking and learning and troubleshooting and noticing how I'm operating as the instrument, you know, to facilitate the change. And uh, I think that those conversations come naturally to people who are working as trainers because they have, have all this data and all of this visceral experience of what it's like, but they haven't yet had this easy way to kind of connect the dots with what they're feeling and what they're thinking um, with what to do next, really, in an effective way, psychologically yeah. speaking. Yeah, well, that was one of the biggest things, like, not that I saw myself as more advanced, but I, I was a teacher before training. And like uh -huh. a lot of this shit was like, I was like, oh, this, this training stuff's super easy. Cause I had to deal with like 30, like junior high kids. So that's like, it in the States, but like, like that's, that's messed up. So anyways, it was like, oh, this training thing's easy. But like, I didn't <laughs> like, in teaching school. You kind of learn about the stuff to some extent mm -hmm. because a lot of it is psychology and trying to try. Yes. You can just transfer knowledge is like really, yes. you realize it's, it's actually the dynamics of the class, but if I wasn't a teacher, I wouldn't have had that experience or what we can call visceral experience or those experiences to make this stuff, I guess, so on, so easier. Yeah. And as trainers, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting because I don't look at it as like I say cheat codes, but like it would be nice to have a better blueprint because much like with the teaching school is we weren't taught how to handle 
a lot of this shit, we had to do it on the fly, but it would be kind of nice if we did learn about it because then it wouldn't be so new. You, you wouldn't feel like you're getting thrown into the fire, I guess, so to speak. Here's the other reality of our world. It would be nice if we had all these skills accessible to us easily. And you have a solution to help. I think that that's the solution. It would be nice if we were all trained in financial uh, you know, mm. intelligence when it came to our businesses. Mm -hmm. It would be nice if we were educated in eight or nine different realms of skills that we're supposed to have. And the reality is, is a lot of the people listening to this or a lot of people going through this are going to feel overwhelmed by it all. What I hope they realize is if they go and they follow you and they see what you're offering, that there's a resource to help them when they need it, when they're interested. And I want these people to feel like, okay, we don't have to feel totally overwhelmed. You're not entire, you're not alone in feeling some of these stresses. And one of the things that we do with this podcast is we're trying to put people in front of everybody who are good resources for the problems they have. I mentioned, you know, financial literacy for trainers. Uh, James Krieger and uh, Chad Landers. We're going to try to get mm. those guys together on soon. We had James on and he talked about a, a bit about it, but they're working on a project that's going to try to educate fitness professionals in financial literacy. Yeah. This is something that our industry really is bad yeah. at on average. So I'm just trying to say, guys, don't like, feel totally overwhelmed with this stuff. And if anything applies to you, honestly, if you are struggling with any aspect of it, reach out, send me a message. Go on my Instagram or, or Facebook and send me a message and say, hey, this is what I am actually having some trouble with right now. Because mm. given the people we know in the industry, chances are there's someone out there with resources that can probably help you a lot. Mm. And if it is the psychological stuff that we're talking about, message Lisa. Go and check out what she's doing. Right? <laughs> That's the whole point of having you on here. Right? Yes, thank you. Um, you know, the, there is one thing that I want to go back to, which there are three big rocks in the course. And we talked about motivation. We talked about stages of change. The third big rock is motivational interviewing. And one of the um, reasons that I want to underscore it is um, that motivational interviewing is that kind of primary skill of precision nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so I, what I have heard many trainers say is like, oh, this kind of reminds me of PN or... Um, I was actually talking to the head, the head of continuing education at Crunch Fitness yesterday. We were talking about her trainers um, having access to the course. And she was like, you know, I've offered PN trainings because I want them to have those skills, but it's not in the language of training. It's in the language of nutrition. And so um, motivational interviewing is awesome. It's been used in all these different modalities, including nutrition and um, including in fitness. And so it is a style of communication that enhances motivation, that provokes the evolution of change, where just like we've been talking about all along, the client takes ownership and really the coach is the guide. And what I like about motivational interviewing is it's very specific, it's very applied. What do you say? When do you say it? How can you say it in a voice that's genuine to you? Um, and so I, you know, I think what is most um, wanted from people are, is like, what can I listen to for 20 to 30 minutes on a lecture and then implement right away the next time I'm, I'm coaching clients. And that was really like goal number one for me. And I feel like the motivational interviewing that third big rock in the course really has a lot of actionable statements and phrases and just approaches to talking to people. And you're right. It has, I would say like, I don't want to say the last, last few years that, that kind of that terminology has popped up quite a bit, especially like yeah. in, in the nutrition realm. Mm -hmm. But like, I think that the understanding of it is like simple in, in the sense that it's like, oh, you just ask people questions. And yeah. Like, that kind of is, but then it's like, 
it's like like you said there's no actual like blueprint unless you go and like search for on like what is it actually because you can you can almost be dangerous if you i don't think it's that dangerous but if you if the simple story is you just ask questions that could you could land on a spot that maybe isn't where you desired so to speak without mm -hmm. learning like the intricacies of what it actually is mm -hmm. so it's sense. like doing a dance it's like you know you you want to open it up but then you want to lead in this positive direction as mm -hmm. well and so i think it's really skills that you practice but you really trying to figure out how to lead the client toward their goal on their timeline with them feeling autonomous about it so that you're not just dragging them or saying this is the way to go and if you're not going to go that way then find a different trainer <laughs> you know that could work though like maybe hey, you're just not ready I'm done <laughs> don't do that that is like i i really wait before i use that one i really really wait until the ambivalence is really really high and the person's really really sick and tired yeah. and um and honestly i will tell you just two weeks ago i was talking to a client of mine who's pretty sick and tired and pretty you know really really wants to change and she was going on about something for about 15 minutes and i said you know maybe you're not ready and she was like you know, maybe I'm not. Yeah. And it was just like relief, you know? And then we actually spent the last 10 minutes talking about a different goal and going in a different direction. So even though it didn't, I was thinking she would say like, fuck yeah, I'm ready. But she didn't. She yeah. was like, you know, I'm not. And fun. that was helpful too. Yeah. I, I think that's actually good to touch on. I know we're kind of bouncing back and forth, but to, to touch on that is like, yeah, like sometimes people aren't ready. And like, that's not, I guess that comes back to meeting people where they're at. Like it's okay not to want to lose a hundred pounds if yeah. 20 is good for where you're at at that point. Yeah. And I guess like that would be an awareness thing, but yeah, that way, we that have to be okay with that. Yeah. Like we have to be okay with the client's goals, not being congruent with our own goals yeah. and holding our own goals about them to ourselves so that we can focus on theirs. So one of the other questions we wanted to touch on, because we're always telling people how exercise is good for mental health, emotional health, choose your words. Yes. Um, what are some of the actual physiological things happening so that way people have a deeper understanding of how exercise, strength training, and cardiovascular training actually biologically makes you feel better? Mm -hmm. So John Rady, who is the author of Spark, which is my favorite book on this topic, his primary assertion is that there are these nice side effects to exercise, which are hypertrophy and cardiovascular strength. But really, the primary benefit of exercise is the plasticity that it, the positive effect that it has on the brain. And so, what we know is that um, BDNF, which is basically like miracle growth for the brain. Um, is increased exponentially by exercise. So people who exercise regularly, and what I say for minimum dosage is I want three days a week, at least 30 minutes per, and that's like, like the minimum, minimum dosage to get any kind of effect. Of course, if you can work out five days a week for 40 minutes, even better. Um, but if you can exercise you, that, to that degree, you are going to improve the, your ability to concentrate and your attention span you are going to improve your consolidation of memory from short-term memory into long-term memory, which is essentially what learning is. You are going to increase your sex drive. You are going to improve your circadian rhythm. You are going to increase the amount of serotonin reuptake in your brain, which is going to improve your mood and your appetite and your sleep-wake patterns. 
you are going to enhance dopaminergic pathways in your brain and the function of dopamine to increase reward and, and pleasure from the environment. And what I mean by that is sometimes when people are depressed, they see a cute little puppy or they hug a best friend and they don't get any pleasure or reward out of that. It doesn't feel good. So if we can improve the function of the dopaminergic system, they can smile and feel good when they see the puppy or they can get that boost of love when they get the hug. So it helps the brain to function better. It helps the brain to learn better. It helps the brain to recover better from stress and to manage anxiety. Basically, the book Spark is any way you slice it, exercise is really good and sedentary is really bad. Uh, this is one of my favorite soapboxes to stand on. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, again, we're probably pre preaching to the choir. Most people out there probably know um, because they do exercise regularly. But there are so many ways you can pitch or educate your clients about the ways in which they are doing themselves a huge favor by being physically active. Are there any distinctions between strength resistance training and cardiovascular training in terms yeah. of effects uh, and so, anything that one misses that the other provides? Yeah, so what I will say is the evidence base is pretty much in cardiovascular activity. My, I, what I think about that is because it's easier to measure. So we can strap a heart rate monitor on somebody and say, elevate your heart rate to 75% of its max for 20 minutes. And you know, one way people can do that pretty effectively and consistently is by doing cardio. So it's harder to measure resistance training. As we all know, you can get a cardiovascular training effect from strength training. You just have to lift weights faster. You, you know, you have to superset or you have to do a circuit or, um, so it is possible to do that, but we have less of a, of a body of evidence. And actually the, the research that I am familiar with that looks at resistance training looks at more of that kind of conventional weight training program where you're not necessarily getting a cardiovascular training effect and the cardiovascular training effect to my knowledge you need that in order to get the benefits to the brain so i actually sat on a dissertation committee for somebody last year who did his dissertation on the effect of um, resistance training on memory and attention and he did not get significant results from that. Of course, it was a tiny little dissertation study, but one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about and him writing about his dissertation is how to improve the quality of collecting that data. You know, what is resistance training when somebody's, do, you know, if somebody's doing a research study and they're looking at resistance training? I wonder what Mike T. Nelson would say about this. Sometimes we I go back and forth about Mike, that. what's gonna happen when you lift weights? If I was, if I was deadlifting 700 pounds, which I have, uh, uh, my dog would not help. They, I would not find joy with my dog being around at that point because <laughs> I'd be so sympathetic. <laughs> like, like, if we if we test this stuff in terms of like happiness, like I don't know. I guess it depends on how sympathetic you that's get because you can throw out like, "Don't fucking hug me." Right that's, now. that's an acute thing. No, that's I know. I'm joking. Thing. If anybody's ever done a one rep max deadlift of that level and yeah. the way you feel psych like your nervous system, your psych, psych even though actually apparently. Uh, the research points to the fact that we actually don't fatigue or CNS. This is going to sound like total zealotry and, and heretical, but apparently the research points to the fact that you know heavy deadlifting doesn't fatigue your central nervous system as much as we've been told for a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you after you've done that, I mean, you get kind of this like amped up feeling from doing the heavy deadlift, but you also feel totally zonked. My dog knows like she, like 
she's probably been scarred. Um, my, my wife last night was like, oh, the dog loves it when I work out. Like we dance, I pet her and she plays. And I'm like, the dog does not come down when I work out. I, we have a basement gym. And I was like, I think uh -huh. she learned that like, you know, like this is not, not the time to play right now. She doesn't want to get weights yeah. dropped on her. She's figured it out. Yeah. Now, I well, would all say, your bandwidth is taken up. Yeah. I would say this though. True. Anybody who has seen a, you know, dramatic or a solid transformation in their physique, they're going to know that it's affected positively their confidence. Bingo. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of like, I don't know how to say this, uh, secondary over time benefits to how you feel about yourself and, and massive yes. positives to like confidence, mood, all these sort of things yeah. because of how you've changed. I think part of that's a reflection on how you look and see yourself, but I think it may also be a sense of feeling more in control and Correct. more in power of these outcomes. Correct. And so I, I don't think there's any way one could argue that strength and resistance training would be not beneficial to your psychological well-being, especially long-term. Correct. And that is one reason why, why any kind of exercise regimen is effective treatment for depression, because what you're going to get is somebody increasing their self-esteem because they're engaging in behaviors that they hold in esteem. Like, dude, I just picked that bar up. Like, that's awesome. Or holy shit, I just got myself to the gym three days a week for a month straight. You know, so when they are engaging in behaviors that they respect and they esteem, it's improving that self-esteem, which is having an impact on the depression. So you're right. Even though, you know, brain chemistry aside, it, it's having the secondary effect, which also is good for mental health. So you mentioned how you launching this course, uh, you have your private practice. Mm. are getting more and more involved in building brand within the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. And you also teach part-time as well. Mm -hmm. How do you set boundaries on time for Tony, your three-year-old, mm -hmm. and time away from work, leisure time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually find it much easier to do in my decathlete LLC life than I found it when I had a nine-to-five kind of a life. Um, and I think that I can work very efficiently. Um, I, I, and I was a sprinter as a kid, too. So I like that interval training like today. Today is my private practice day. I'm seeing 11 patients <laughs> um, and you guys like over the course of the day. And this is the day that I sit live with people and see patients. So it's a busy, intense day, but then I don't do it for six more days. Um, when I'm on campus, I'm teaching and I'm focused on that. And I try to get my work done during my office hours. And then when I'm not, not there, I'm not doing it. So my approach is really kind of like interval training that I work hard when I'm doing what I'm doing. And then I try to take it all the way off my plate when I'm not doing it. And um, I'm lucky to, I have a partner who like me really feels, knows the importance of investing in time together. So, you know, we have like a babysitting account <laughs> so that we can have a babysitter and go on date night and, you know, spend time with each other. I think if you have one partner who is a workaholic or who, you know, who is spread really thin, it gets a lot harder, but he helps me to, to kind of be effective, if you will, in that way, because he has the same value. And then I think also, you know, people like us who are inclined to fitness, we tend to like regimen and habits. So I think I've developed this kind of pattern of, you know, in the evenings I'm with my kid, like if it's between four 30 and seven 30, like I'm in mom mode and if it's Saturday, I'm with my kid, I'm in mom mode. And um, so I think that finding those pockets in those times and settling into that rhythm uh, 
is, is very helpful way to achieve balance. And then if something feels bad or if things are getting too stressful, kind of looking at it and saying, what can I tweak? Not that I have to chuck it all, but like, what can I make a small adjustment to that might make it all settle back in and feel good? I think that last part's key too. Like that whole, and I think that's really helpful. Is like, is that I guess self-awareness of when things aren't good, especially if you're into routine, because like you can almost tell when stuff is off. Like I kind of went through that this winter. Was mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I was like, why am I feeling like, like not that yeah. simple question is a thing, but I was like, what the fuck is wrong? And it was actually my blind. Yeah. I was getting a lot of light in our room. So we got new blinds uh-huh. and like, I went for walks in the morning. Like, oh, I feel great. But it was mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like I'm a pretty self-aware guy. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck is wrong. Uh-huh. And it's almost like it took me like two months to actually change it, which is just, so I think it's helpful is like do an audit more often than not. Mm-hmm. When you, when you know something's up. Cause I think a lot of us are pretty smart to know when it's off, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, uh, yeah, where, yeah, where, where, where's the best place to find you and, and kind of the information about, cause I think we talked a lot about this course, but like where they find you and the information you bring out and then where can they get more information about this course and the new stuff? Yeah. So you can find um, information about me in the course on my website, which is drlewisconsulting.com. Um, any article that I've written for a magazine, I will link on there. Any upcoming events I'm speaking at, I will link to there. Any podcasts I'm on like this, I will link there. And then also right now it's the home base for um, basically signing up for my emails for me or newsletter for me to learn more about the course. Um, I do have a site for the course, which is psych skills for fit pros right now. It's like a very basic kind of landing page. Um, so those are ways to find out more about the course or me. And then, um, my, what I work pretty hard on about five days a week is, is, um, putting content on an Instagram account, which is at Dr. Lewis, um, consulting. And, um, that I try to bring in performance psychology, sports psychology, motivation, all that we've been talking about into training and exercise. And you lift in your stories. Um, stories, you know, I can't get into using stories. So they're mostly like in my feed, but um, pretty much, I mean, pretty much the, what I've gotten into that people, you know, respond well to is tying in some yeah. aspect of performance psychology to what I'm doing in the gyms. So um, it's a recipe that is working and I'm, I'm at the gym every morning. So you should, um, uh, you should, I saw Tony's feed. He, he missed the missed a deadlift or he didn't have it. You should probably get, he needs to get on some of these skills. If you want that. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell him that he's no. not listening to you. He's thinking horse. <laughs> I suppose it's also worth mentioning too. I was just double checking the notes on it, but, uh, on May 1st, May 2nd in Kansas City, the fitness summit, the very last year that they're going to do it, you're preventing, you're speaking again, and then Tony's going to be there with you. You guys are going to be at the same one this time. Yeah, the whole fam family's coming. Um, so nice. even the little guy's coming with us. Uh, so yeah, we're really excited. Last year he didn't go, I went. And um, for many years before that, I didn't go and he went. So uh, we're looking forward to being at the event together. Should be a fun one. I'm already booked for it, so I'll see you guys there. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's looking for you know, a chance to step out and go to an event that gives you a chance to network and meet people. And obviously, the presentations are great, but I think the, especially the Kansas City Fitness Summit is, is more than just the information. It is about meeting the industry. 
And uh, you'll find that you know the speakers and presenters are very down to earth and they're not sequestered away from everybody. Yes. <clears throat> it's not a VIP thing you have to buy in order to have Correct. Them, which you know some events do that. I, that's not, I'm not a big fan of that sort of behavior, but uh, it, it's something where everybody gets immersed in it and it's really fun. So it's definitely worth checking out if you've been thinking about trying to travel to somewhere like this. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate your time. I know you've got a crazy busy day, so we'll yes. free you up from it. And for everybody else who's listening, uh, if you want to hear more of Lisa, go check out uh, our first episode with her. And uh, thanks for continually tuning in week over week. Thank you. Shut up and sit down.